0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church.
1: So I was reflecting a little bit about that this, this morning. We're going to have a panel that will help us uh, get our heads around what we're thankful for and what we look forward to. Um, I did want to make, mention the fact that today is Thanksgiving Sunday. Um, and um, as it relates to the capital funds campaign, I think that we have a tremendous amount to be thankful for. Uh, we are chatting a little bit this week. And by the way, chatting about gossiping about the building program is great. There's a little code still in the uh, Bible that says you're allowed to gossip about the building program. Talk about it all you can. Um, and that that's really good. But you know, from a Thanksgiving perspective, um, man, how many how many churches have a million dollars in the bank? Uh, how many churches have the building and have a number of uh, more than one church who is actively looking, to, to maybe move in when we leave and that this building and these premises can continue to be used to the glory of God that's just fantastic um, the unity in our congregation is fantastic as it relates to this uh, the um, the just a feeling of peace as we go forward and um, our pastoral staff I, I've been working a little bit closer with them in the last so well they rock like they were really really great and um, they've been really giving it their all as, as it relates to this program so many things to be thankful for you could probably popcorn a bunch of more more of those things this morning but we don't have time because we have some lovely people with us at our game show event and we have um uh cody and krista and ria um all great people i'm going to say really nice things to ria because i wasn't as nice to her in the first service and I've, I've heard that she has a very long memory. So, but We're going to start with Cody. Now, oh, first of all, I wanted to just, uh, in terms of um, length of time that you've been at this church, um, Cody, you've been here for how many years? Uh,
2: since last summer.
1: Is that on? Check the bottom. Is it late on? Okay. S- uh, since last summer. Since last summer. Uh, Krista? 26 years. It's older than me. Um, <laughs> and, and Rhea doesn't quite know, so I'm not going to ask her. Uh, she she says somewhere between uh, 1 and 15 years or something like that. No, she said between 10 and 12 years. Uh, I'm going to start with you, though, Cody. Um, um, first, like, kind of looking back, um, tell us a little bit about your life over the last couple of years and um, God's leading and, and how, as a church... White Ridge has been special to you in, on that journey.
2: Yeah, so uh, many of you probably don't know my wife Carly and I. Uh, we moved to Winnipeg last May, and I am, we are extremely thankful for this church. Um, if we rewind a little bit, we'll go back to last February. I'm from B.C., um, and last February, my dad, uh, well, he was biking, he had a heart attack and a stroke, um, and he's, he suffers from short-term memory loss now. And so he went into a high-intensive rehab clinic until uh, about June of last year. But before we were able to bring him home in June, uh, my mom, who was seven months cleared of breast cancer, uh, we found out the day before Carla and I moved to Winnipeg um, that she had a brain tumor. Uh, And so uh, as we're moving, the the church has been a big impact between the pastoral staff and and the friends that we've made here. Um, And then July 31st of last year, my, my mother passed away. Um, so the reason for the story is to say thank you. Um, uh, in my healing process with the grieving, um, I don't think I would have been able to be where I am at this point um, without the help of this congregation and the church, and um, so we're extremely thankful.
1: Thanks, Cody. And when you think about that, uh, here's someone that's recently come to White Ridge. A number of you may be in that same um, that same place, and, and with the a larger church, we have just that much more opportunity to bring a lot more Cody's into the midst and 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 um and love them uh uh up and uh, and help them uh, grow and, and heal and and all those good things. Now we're on to Krista. Now Krista's been here for longer than she was born, I think, given the, um Krista tell tell us a little bit about uh, your journey and how this church has been important to you through the years.
3: I um went away to camp as a 15-year-old who did not know anything about uh, Jesus and found out about Jesus at camp, became a believer, and very quickly uh, made my way to this church. And I came here because it was, I lived just over the fence, and I could hop the fence and come here. And it was really scary walking in these doors um, by myself and not understanding anything too much about church or what church community was um, but I have uh, found it I found it really quickly here and was uh, brought into the fold quickly and um, this has been a body that has uh, mentored me and uh, helped me learn what it means to be a Christian and it is such a privilege to be able to raise our kids in the same body that uh, that we were kids in
1: thank you very much how about uh, Rhea Tell us about your journey, how you came here, what the circumstances were, and uh, what you appreciated.
4: Excuse me. Um, Dave and I raised our kids in the same church. They were baptized in the church. They were all married in the church. And then the church had great conflict and major changes, and it was just so painful for us. We had to leave, and we wandered for a year looking for a home. And then we came to Fort Richmond, and we... We weren't here very long, maybe a month, maybe more, when the pastor announced he was resigning, and we could hear the, (sighs) and we went, oh, no, we don't need this. We just don't need this. And then a couple of weeks later, Kevin and Mark Koop got up and did a beautiful, beautiful um, playlet about you're on one side of this, and I'm on the other side of this understanding, but we are friends, we're Christians, we love each other, and we're going to work this through together. And Dave and I went home from church that day and said, we're safe, we can stay.
1: Lovely, thank you very much for that. Uh, so all sorts of different experiences here and, um, and talking about the body of believers and how that was a good thing um, in, in, in their lives. Um, Cody, um, you are what are the statisticians refer to as a millennial. Um, and uh, so you're weird. Because um, <laughs> I don't understand you. Um, so, and you're also in a career um, in development. Um, and so you, 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 you're used to thinking through those things about, you know, if, as we, as, if we develop things, what good use will they become to? How does um, someone from your generation think about the notion of moving into a new church facility? Um, Is it a good thing, and and, kind of what goes through your mind?
2: Yeah, I think uh, our age, younger age demographic, uh, we can get pretty hooked on and used to our cell phones and our tablets and those types of things. But uh, I know for myself personally and our our family, we're pretty uh, invested into wanting a new meeting place um and what comes with the meeting place is fellowship and we strongly believe in fellowship and gathering in the lord's name um, and we're we're very certain that this is a long-term investment in this new infrastructure we're sure that uh, like newcomers of us we're able to uh celebrate in fellowship with our current congregation but also uh, open our doors to many many more people
1: excellent thanks cody now krista uh I, probably most of you know that she's highly invested in the youth of our church and she she does a lot of um A lot of great work uh, just supporting that those programs Um, so I could probably guess well I know what you're gonna say well you may say something different because we had the first service already Um, but um, tell us what you're looking forward to in this new church building Krista and and what it's gonna mean to you and your family and and, and all that
3: yeah like as far as um, youth goes and the the chances that we've had to dream about new spaces and the ministries that can happen in those spaces. It's so exciting and and we are really excited about that and looking forward to that. As a family, we, um, and in our small group, we talk about what this looks like, what this process looks like, what's our piece in the process. And um, we realized that um, Terrence's parents were about the same stage of life that we were at That we're at now when they moved from Grant Park and came here and um, there's so many unknowns and it's kind of scary for us um, because it's a big it's a big thing right Um, but when I look at the faithfulness of Terrence's parents and just the obedience that they took in coming here um, and knowing that I was a girl who could hop the fence and come here and really get to know Jesus um, because of the steps of obedience that they took uh, I want to do the same thing for our kids and so I'm really excited to see um, a place where our kids can really grow in their faith and um, yeah that's what I'm excited about is watching the next generation and I know that our calling is to be obedient in each step because they're watching
1: perfect thank you very much well we're leaving the last word to Rhea and uh, Rhea uh, someone in your Age group, as you think uh, forward to a new church building what what goes through your mind It's
4: interesting age group Dave said to me, between services, you do realize you're representing the old folks Thanks. I, I did not mean that <laughs> <laughs> no, but you said it <laughs> i'm <laughs> i'm I really, so hard <laughs> <laughs> I'm really very excited about this because to me this is an unknown adventure. And it's up to us to obey and to follow God's leading as he takes all of us, the congregation, the building, the community, into a whole new way of ministry, expanded ministry. And because I'm so old, I may not live to see it all, but I really anticipate a lot of great and wonderful godly things happening in this church.
1: That's wonderful. Thank you very much to the panelists.
5: Thank you so much to you four. Uh, It's sure great to hear from each other. You know, uh, we're walking through this whole journey together, and yet if we don't hear from each other, we, we don't get to receive the encouragement and the um, exhortation and, and some of the advice that we can give each other. Uh, just to uh, mention, I, I, have, I have no shoes on uh, because uh, in the first service during the worship time, I had an argument with God and he won uh, like he usually does. But uh, uh, so so I, I'm not one that is inclined to often... You know, feel this word that is spoken to me directly and personally, and so on. And um, when I do, when I have that, uh, I, I just want to err on the side of obedience because uh, if he didn't say take your socks shoes off, first of all he says shoes, then I argued it's okay. Then he said socks, and so I said okay. Um, but if if I if I was just you know me in my weird thinking, that's fine. I, I'd rather err on the side of obedience. So. And I think the nature of the sermon today is what uh, had me thinking this way, uh, as you'll see in a little while. And so uh, I'm just wanting to say to you this morning, uh, we are so excited about this whole season we're in, and uh, we're actually over halfway through this capital campaign. It occurred to me just uh, this morning that uh, we're over halfway uh, we began in September on the property of McGilvery with two services outdoors, and uh, we're all kind of driving toward October 30th, the last Sunday of this month, when we are going to be asked, all of us, to hand in this envelope with this card inside, and in the morning services, we will, we will bring this and deposit it somewhere. And on this commitment card is, is a declaration of what you believe by faith God has asked you to contribute financially to this project of a new building. And it's over three years, so that's the way we're going to do it. And it describes on this card how, how some will give and others will give differently uh, and so on. And um, this morning or this, this past Thursday, as we were at Pastor Elf's um, Apartment, there's a few of us men that gather there and, and we pray every Thursday morning. And uh, Al, Pastor Alf, you said something that's stuck with me since then. And uh, we were talking about some of this tension that exists. And Pastor Alf said that, that actually it's, not, it's good to not uh, run ahead of that, it's good to not force it, it's good to not uh, rush the tension period. That, that actually the wisdom and the will of God is found in the middle of that tension or that open-endedness, that push and pull period and and season. And it it happens in various ways. For example, those of you who have have come to the small group information evenings already and have seen the case statement, you'll know that we are encouraging us to give not just by reason but by revelation. And, And that's a different thing. There is a tension between what we believe we can reasonably give to something and what, by God's revelation, He's going to say, well, I, I want you to give this. And uh, just to-, to back up the bus a little bit, on, um, you'll-, you'll be getting a packet, so you- you'll see my cover letter. Now, you know that I went on a sabbatical, and I was away all summer, and so that cover letter had to be written by the end of March or something. And um, so Pat and I had to start back in, I think, February, really praying about what God's leading was upon us as a married couple. And I've had talks with various uh, people in our church who have also said that in their marriage, that this, is a, this is a good thing, it's a struggle, but some, sometimes a wife or husband come at it from different angles, and, and that's, that Pat and I had to work this through. Now, when we came to this point where I could write with peace and conscience clean uh, this letter and, and put in there what Pat and I had contributed or had, were committed to doing, um, in, that, uh, in that season, I believe we were kind of just thinking reason, uh, and we were just sort of looking at three years and saying, "Well, reasonably we could do this and and now, since that time, I believe that both of us are in prayer thinking. Well, well, is that really what God wants, though? Is there, is there something else? And that tension is okay for us to not rush that, but to sit in it and ask God to show us. So not only is there a tension between reason and revelation, but sometimes there's a tension in the family, between husband and wife. That's an okay thing. Don't rush it. Nobody is forced here. We should all come to, to peace in God about what He is asking us to give. And... Um, and when it comes time where these, these cards are going to be handed in at the end of the month, I'm trusting that God will, will do exactly what His will is through every one of, of us who have been asked to contribute. Now, I want to say I love buildings. I, my, my dad was a builder. I grew up, as early as I can remember, carrying two-by-fours around construction yards. I mean, I just love building. When we were in Bolivia the last half of our time there, was, all, was partly about building an addition onto this seminary building in Cochabamba that had existed for 60-some years without any addition. And, and I got to do that, a supervise it on behalf of our mission and so on. And I love that. But when, I want to tell you that every time I go back to Bolivia, it is not a building that is the legacy of Terry and Pat Jank in Bolivia. What is, what is our legacy and what fills our hearts with absolute joy is when we meet up with students that are pastors now and leaders of different ministries, and we see them married and walking with the Lord and, and being fruitful. That is what gives me joy. And I tell you, I transfer that same attitude here in this church family. If God leads us to go ahead and build a building, I'll be excited. I love building. But if God leads us some other path, I, you know, what it's all about is building the people of God. And I rejoice to see people involved in Jesus' name, in his kingdom work. And so that is, uh, that is my encouragement upon you. May God lead us together as we get ready for this day of commitment and all the things he has for us. Let's pray together. Father, our God, we come to you that the God that is the beginning and the end. And, Lord, we come to you with our hearts uh, filled with you today and joy, thanksgiving. We've got so much to be thankful for. And right now, Father, I just ask you to uh, help all the sharing that is going on and all of our efforts to to communicate and to be on the same page as a church body. Help them to result in us really, really knowing your leading, Father. We, we really want your leading upon us. And God, we're not just praying for dollars that are pledged. We're praying, God, for souls to be saved. We're praying, O oh God, for an impact upon this community and this city and this world in a greater way because of a, a different building that you will lead us to build. Lord, we pray that you would impact and, and be fruitful in this, in this part of our ministry because of our obedience. So we ask for your leading, God, and we commit it to you. I pray, Father, for that tension, that, that place where we often find ourselves between reason and revelation. Lord, I know that, that we cannot fully answer every question because we do not know the future. And if we could, then somehow we wouldn't need you. But God, we, we, we call upon you. We've done our best due diligence, and we wait upon you, Father, to show us your leading. And we count on you to show us your way. Father, now the things of this earth, may they grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace as we open up your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Kings chapter 8, we read these words, verse 10, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service Because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. We come to an important place in our study of 1 Kings this morning. We're actually gonna spend three weeks on chapter 8 of 1 Kings. If you have it and you wanna open it, that'd be great. 1 Kings chapter 8. And there's an important word in that chapter that if we're going to understand the entire chapter, we have to understand this one word. It is a word that is used hundreds hundreds of times in the Bible, and it is the word glory. If we're going to understand what's happening in 1 Kings 8, we have to understand the word glory. And we're going to start by just unpacking a little bit of the concept of glory this morning before we get into the, the actual narrative. The scriptures are the uh, dictionary, I should say, would, would give you various renderings and definitions of the word glory. But simply put, sometimes it says that glory is the splendor, the beauty, or the magnificence of something. And when it is used of God, of course, it is used in this extreme and incredible way. John Piper writes this, that the glory of God is the manifest beauty of His holiness, Now, we need to understand, as soon as we think of God and compare it to other things that are called glorious, we realize that glory is a word that is defined with varying intensities. The glory of a firefly or the glory of a campfire is nothing like the glory of the sunset or the sunrise. The glory of a candle or a flashlight is nothing like the glory of a laser beam or an arc-welding torch. Glory is in varying degrees. And when we use the same word of God, we obviously are talking about an infinite glory that is beyond fully comprehending. And the thing about God's glory, so this idea of God's glory being His very nature, holiness, but radiating out from Him in a way that mortals like you and I can perceive and understand. That's His glory. And so all around us we see reflections of His glory that help us interpret God and understand God. Though they're dim and they're dull and they're tarnished and they don't reflect Him fully. And so in this, rea- in this way then, God's glory radiating out from Him is not like the glory of a flashlight or a sunrise even. It's more like the glory of a nuclear reactor. It's the kind of glory that's not safe. It's the kind of glory that has to be contained and controlled or it will absolutely kill mortals. That's that's God's glory. We don't understand it naturally. We have to get into the deep end to understand what glory, the glory of God is. C.S. Lewis He's written a book called The Weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, of Glory, The Weight of Glory. And he says, he, he says in this book that he marvels at the idea that we could actually stand before this holy and glorious God and that we could please him one day. He says this, to please God and to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but actually delighted in as an artist delights in his or her work or as a father in his or her son and daughter, it it seems impossible. He says, it's a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. This idea that, that in the mercy and grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ, we, mortals, ingloriously... ...as we are, could be prepped up and fit for heaven and glory. That's the wonder that C.S. Lewis is writing about. Now, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that there are different ways of of God being described by theologians. There's, There's communicable attributes of God, and there's incommunicable attributes of God. The incommunicable attributes of God are those that cannot be communicated... They are incommunicable. They can't be shared. He alone is God this way, and nobody else shares in his Godness. There's things like eternal God, e- infinite God, omnipresent, all knowing. He is the self existent one. He needs nothing and no one in order to exist. If I stop thinking about God, he just carries on. If God were to stop thinking about me, I'm done. He is that kind of God. I am a dependent creature. He is an independent creator. So those are incommunicable attributes that God is just God. His glory emanates from all that He is. But the communicable attributes of God, rather, are characteristics that He actually shares with us though we display them in such an inferior way. Things like justice and love and compassion. And the difference is not just the intensity of God compared to us, puny mortals, but rather the origin of these attributes as well. The origin of all these attributes that we share because we are created in the image of God and therefore share that God attributes... They are all originating in God Himself. And so we reflect God to those around us because we are created in the image of God. We were born to be reflectors of the image of God. That's who we are. And so... We do so only because of of the fact that we're in His image. Our love, our justice, our knowledge somehow reflects God's love, God's justice, God's knowledge in a very incomplete, sometimes very distorted way. In fact, everything that God created was meant to reflect His glory back to Himself and to everything around it. And the highest of His creation is, is humanity created in His image. So Psalm 19:1 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Isaiah 6, 3, the whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. When we stand under a night sky and behold all the stars, we see reflected in those stars something of the glory of God. Psalm 8, verse 1, you have set your glory above the heavens. And talking about humanity in verse 5 of Psalm 8, you have made us a little lower than the heavenly beings and you have crowned us with glory and honor. Isaiah 43, 7, that we were created for His glory, to bring God glory, by reflecting Him. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says about Jesus Christ that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. So in Jesus Christ, we see exactly, purely, perfectly who God is. That's who Jesus Christ is. You and I are absolutely dim, dull, tarnished reflections of that holy purity of the glory of God. And yet we are reflections. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. We are in that process. The Bible calls it sanctification. And so with that basis of a kind of a grounding of the idea of glory, let's now take a look at the scripture in 1 Kings chapter 8. And we're going to look at two questions that I want to answer this morning. The first question is, what happened before the glory of the Lord filled His temple? So those are like prerequisites for the filling of His glory in His temple. What what happened before and then what happened after the glory of the Lord filled His temple? The first thing we see before the glory of the Lord filled the temple is that everything, everything holy, was brought into the temple and put in its place. You'll notice it in verses 1 to 9 of chapter 8. And in that list, in that, in that uh, portion of Scripture, the, the key piece of furniture was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what was the Ark of the Covenant? If you go back to Exodus 25, you'll read that the Ark of the Covenant was a box made of acacia wood, and it was overlain with pure gold. It was four about four feet long, two and a half feet high, and two and a half feet wide, approximately. And inside the Ark of the Covenant was was two stone tablets that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And the Ten Commandments were written with the finger of God on those two stone tablets. That was inside the Ark. And over top of the Ark was a cover also overlaid with gold, pure gold, the atonement cover. Now, inside as well in that place, there were two huge structures carved that were also uh, enormous. They had a, a wingspan of 15 feet, two angelic cherubim, and one on, on each end. The, the One touched the edge of the inner sanctuary, and then over top of that, ark. And then the other one, the tip of the wing just barely touched and then it touched the other wall. And underneath that place, underneath that place was where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And in that place was where God met with his people. Now, in this scripture, it says in verse 22, or sorry, if we were to go back to Exodus 25, 22, God told his people Israel that it was in that very place that he would meet with his people And give his commands. Now, this is like, we're talking GPS, pinpoint, accuracy. I mean, this is where the wingtips touch. Right below it is the ark. That's where I'll meet with your high priest once a year. That is where God, the living God, will dwell among his people. The ark represented the very living presence of God dwelling among the camp of his people, Israel. It's incredible. And so here is this in chapter 8 of 1 Kings 1 to 9. In verse 3 you see that when they were moving this Ark of the Covenant from the temporary tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and taking it over to the fixed and and secure place of the temple, they had these long poles and rings through the Ark of the Covenant and the, the priests carried it and they didn't get near it. Because they already read the history of David and what happened when someone touched it and was struck dead. When someone tried to look inside of it and was struck dead. This was a holy piece of furniture. The very presence of God was dwelling within that place. And as they would walk from the tabernacle to the temple, it says in verses 6 and following that they sacrificed so many animals. They would take a few steps and stop. The priest would kill a sheep or a cow. I mean, the very blood of this passage reminds us of the sobriety, the seriousness, the raw glory of God is not something you play with. And so, in these scriptures, it says in verses 6 to 9 they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies, they placed it under the wings of the cherubim, they backed out, and they closed the curtains they waited. What an incredible moment this must have been. Everything holy, furniture, basins, lampstands, utensils, trays, everything holy was brought into the temple and put in its place. In verse 10, it says that we read that when the priest withdrew from the holy place, then the cloud filled the temple Of the Lord, verse eleven, and the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Now, what does this have to do with us? Well, as we talked about, we are the temple of the living God. We've been talking about that in the New Testament. We are talked about as the temple of the living God. If Christ has washed away your sin, if you have received Him and you know Him, He died on the cross in your place. He has given you of His Holy Spirit that that God agent within you that is continuing the work of refining you to look like the image of God instead of reflecting your own uh, fallenness. And, and if you're in that, you're, you're a temple of the living God. And so as temples, we have to have these two things happen to us as well. Everything in our lives has to be dedicated and put in its place and every one of us must withdraw in humility from the limelight so that God can have His place. These two things have to happen if you're going to be filled with His glory. If you and I are going to reflect the glory of God the way He created us to reflect, then, then two things have to happen. Number one, everything about your life has to be put in its proper place and Every one of us has to withdraw in humility before this God who deserves all the attention, all the glory, and all the credit for anything good that happens among us. What does that look like? Well, for everything in our lives to be dedicated as holy and put in its place, it means we bring to God everything about us, and we bring it in obedience. We, we bring our bodies, whether they're healthy or not, we bring our bodies We bring our families, we bring our possessions and our pride, our jobs and our homes, our money, our pleasures and leisures, our time and our talents. We bring it all into this temple with everything that God's got and we put it in its place. Now what does it mean to put it in its place? It means that you get God's priority system figured out, God's value system. You figure it out that, that God's Children that he's given you to to nurture for 20 years or so are more important than your recreation or than your pastimes, so you put it in its place. You put children above that stuff. And then you you look at your life in God and you say, Jesus is is on the throne and nothing can usurp, eclipse, or or send him off because he's got to be in his place. And everything else, holy, is in their places. It's no small thing to do an inventory like that and surrender completely to God. And for every one of us to withdraw so that God can have His place in our lives or in this church, it means that there are no heroes There are no superstars. There's no American Idol at White Ridge Baptist Church. There's no Canada's Got Talent in this whole thing. There's none of that exists because all that matters is God. There's no heroes. We all withdraw so that he can have the full glory, right? John the Baptist had it right. Remember, John the Baptist compared his role like that of a best man compared to a groom. He says this in John chapter 3 verse 29 the bride belongs to the bridegroom the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice that joy is mine and it's now complete he must become greater i must become less Can you imagine have you ever can you imagine going to a wedding and witnessing the best man flirting with the bride Can you imagine going to a wedding and the maid of honor is, is, is strutting around and taking away from the glory of the bride? See, John the Baptist says, I, I got to decrease and he's got to increase. That's the role that we're in. And so in the church of Jesus Christ, that's the way it has to be. We have to withdraw before his glory will come when God has his rightful place, when everything is at his disposal, when everyone is withdrawing and letting him get the glory, then he gets the glory and we get the joy. And at the end of the capital campaign as well. At the end of the capital campaign, certainly God is going to lead some to contribute tons of hours in volunteer work and others very few. And God is going to lead some to give more money than others will give or able to give. What does it matter? Well, no one's going to know either of those, hardly. I guess we might know a little bit of the hours. But we're not going to know that stuff. And and the fact is, we don't care to know. Because, you see, all that matters is that God gets the glory. Because no heroes in this place. No heroes. Well, the second question they need to answer is, what, what happens after the glory of God fills the temple? In verse 11, it says that the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Service and ministry cannot continue as usual when God fills the place. When God comes in glory, we can't just carry on business as usual. In fact, the word for glory in this verse 11 is a Hebrew word, kabod, which means weight or heaviness. The idea is that this cloud, this thick, dark cloud that came into the temple was so heavy upon the priests that they just had to stop what they were doing. They were washing up after the last sacrifice. They were lighting candles. They were using wash basins, whatever. They just put it all down. They had to sit down and, and worship God because the glory of God was heavy upon them. And in the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles 7, in verse 3, we, we read of what the Israelites were doing outside of the temple at the same time. It says, when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, and they said, oh, He is good, and His love endures forever. Amen. Amen. What would it look like like in our church if if this happens? Honestly, I've only had little tastes of of the glory of God falling like this. During my entire life of ministry, I can only count on one hand the few times that I have witnessed the glory of God fall in such a way that you could almost cut it with a knife in the air. I, 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 I want to tell you at least one of those situations. It was when I was, Pat and I were in Costa Rica at language school. And there we were with with hundreds of other would-be missionaries getting ready to go to Latin America. And at the end of the semester, the men had a retreat up in the jungle in the mountains. And the day before we left... A man's grandmother died, and he was moving back to the, or going back to the States to go to the funeral. And he asked me if I would preach in his place at this men's retreat. So I said, sure, I'll preach. And then I went back to our home that we were living in, and I, and I found some of the sermons I would brought from Canada. And I thought, well, I'll just grab one of these sermons. And on the bus on the way up the mountain, God just put his hand on me, and he said, don't you dare preach one of those sermons. And I had to put all that stuff aside, and I just had to wait on God. I got there, and and on the first evening, I just stayed up late, and I said, God, please show me, what what do you want me to say? I was in the Word, I was praying, I had a little bit of stuff to say, maybe 10 minutes worth. I got up early the next morning and sought the Lord again, and again, I came out just with about 10 minutes maybe of, of some stuff that the Lord shared in one passage of Scripture and then we were busy all that day, and that evening I was supposed to preach. And I got up before the men. There was probably like 70 of them or so. And I got up before the men, and I just said, Brothers, I, I got about 10 minutes worth of stuff to share. And then I think somebody else here has got a sermon for us. And I, and I, and I did that. I, I, I preached for 10 minutes, and then I sat down and I said, I, We're going to have silence until someone knows that God's wanting to say something. And I'm telling you, we had such an incredible evening when the glory of God fell. And we had had so many things dealt with that evening. We had men confessing publicly shameful acts of sin. We We had men who were part of the same mission board in the United States that were competing for the same jobs and hated each other confess it publicly and heal and weep. We had a Costa Rican language teacher stand up and confess his bitterness against us as gringo missionaries, and he would say to God, these are the people you're sending to my people to tell about the gospel? And we wept with him, and we prayed for him, and we prayed for us. We had marriages healed. I went to bed about midnight and it was still going on. You see, when the glory of God comes, business can't go on as usual. I'd love to see more of that. I'd love to see God do that. It is the sweetest experience any earthling could ever have. But in addition to things not being able to carry on as normal, we see in these verses that when the glory of God comes, people get blessed and God gets praised. We read that in in this passage in chapter 8, verse 14. It says that Solomon turns toward the people of Israel and he just started blessing them. And then it says that he he praised the Lord And it goes on, actually, through praise and prayer. Most of the chapter, we're going to look at it in the coming weeks. And in verse 54, it says, When Solomon had finished these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from the altar of the Lord, where he'd been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. And he stood up and he blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice. And he said, Praise to the Lord. What is it going to take? I believe God wants to bless. What is it going to take for us to receive the blessing, though? I believe God is a good God. I believe he wants to bless. But I think the, one of the main impediments to the blessing flowing down is that we have other things clutching in our fists. And if we're going to receive the blessing, we have to let go of the things that we're hanging on to so dearly. Let's have the worship team come and let's sing of the glory of God. Let make, let's make it our prayer May the glory of the Lord fall upon us. And in this season of change that we're going through, may we experience something absolutely extraordinary, something out of the usual, and that we would know that God alone gets all the praise for it. Amen.
6: Of the Lord rise among us, let the glory of the Lord rise among us, let the praises of the King rise among us, let it rise, oh let it rise, let the songs of the Lord rise among us, let the songs of the Lord rise among us, let the praises of the King rise. Among us, let it rise, oh, let it rise, let it rise, amen. Oh, 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 let it rise, let the glory of the Lord rise among us, let the glory of the Lord rise among us, let the glory of the Lord Let it rise, oh let it rise. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of the King rise among us. Let it rise, oh let it rise. Yes. Oh, 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 let it rise. Oh Do you know?
0: Of the Lord comes into our lives, everything changes. Everything, I mean, everything. Then the change is scary, it's threatening. but it's fantastic. One of the tragedies of our churches is we've made our churches so safe there's no change. Some people have said to me, how does it feel like when you leave prison work and come back to church work? And in prison work, we deal with the dirty, we deal with the rough, we deal with the absolute garbage of life. But as we do, and as we shovel out all the horrible stuff, we taste the glory. And I've had the privilege of seeing inmates become Christians become church leaders and then significant leaders in all of Canada, by the grace of God and by his glory. And empty churches struggle because they're afraid of change. And my wife and I have felt very sad that we've chosen in Canada not to seek the glory of God in our midst. It's safer just to play church. Oh, God our Father. you who sit on the throne of heaven with tears in your eyes knowing what you could and would do for us if we'd only open our hearts to you and ask that you change us. We come to you and ask, O God, O God, may your glory touch our hearts this week. Amen.